Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where a cat can cause a mass power outage, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where you'll find some of the best fishing in Arkansas at Peckerwood Lake. Tonight, we're looking at the case against Stacey Johnson, who was convicted and sentenced to death in 1997 for the April 1993 murder of Carol Heath, a mother of two children living in DeQueen, Arkansas. Johnson was set to be executed in April 2017, but was given a stay by the Arkansas Supreme Court to pursue a request for DNA testing in the trial court in Sevier County. Testing was denied earlier this year, and Johnson has appealed that decision to the Arkansas State Supreme Court. As always, this is a live show, and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael. How are you? I'm great. I'm trying to figure out, uh, I'm trying to write down that name of that lake where you said the fishing was best. Peckerwood. <laughs> yeah, you... It's definitely a lake name that would only be in Arkansas for sure. Yeah, um, I I think it's uh, I don't think it's too far from Little Rock. I don't remember where it was though. So. Yeah, it was um, it was named by somebody uh, who owned all the land. It's a private. It, it's on private land. But I think you can, mm-hmm. you know, fish there for a fee. Okay. Okay, I'll have to so. check that out. And with, with a name like Peckerwood, it shouldn't be hard to find on a map. Oh, absolutely not. Or on Google. Sure. <laughs> there it is. <clears throat> so, how and was your week? 
lead you to the wrong thing. Well, this is true. Don't open pictures. Yeah. Or Do open them with open. caution. Yeah. NSFW. <laughs> right, NSFW. Don't do it at work. But anyway, we're getting ready to talk about uh, Stacey Johnson. I, I remember this. I remember Mr. Johnson, you know, in that um, they called it an assembly line or disassembly line or whatever. But, Correct. Uh, no. I remember, I believe he was one of the, he was on the first day that they were supposed to do two of them in one day, correct? Uh, He was supposed to be executed the same day as Liddell Lee. I don't know whether that was the first two uh, execution uh, or whether there was a, okay. I don't remember how they, I don't remember how they were spaced out as far as. Uh, one a day or two a day. I believe it went but one, yeah. one. I believe is how it was supposed to go. Okay, and that would have well, it would be one one, and then there would have to be two 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 because there were eight men scheduled initially. Okay, maybe that's how it was. I just remember. That or maybe it was one scheduled. Maybe it was one one and then three sets of two. Yeah. That may have been what it was for sure. Yeah. But, uh, so I do remember him getting a stay because I remember, you know, honestly, and I guess we can get to this, you know, towards the end of the show. But the first thing I want to ask is, why did you get a stay and nobody else did? Well, actually, um, they one all got a stay. <laughs> one of the yeah. Arkansas Supreme Court judges, or, or one of the or maybe it was a trial court judge, uh, stayed all of the executions. That didn't last because the Supreme Court uh, reversed him right away. But um, he got a stay to pursue DNA testing. And then I think it was Jack Jones. Yeah, Jack Jones, I believe. And Marcel William. No, Jack Jones. And Don Davis. Jack got him for like, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it wrong, but I hope you understand what I mean. Illegal procedure or something. He got him for the actual procedure of the execution, correct? You know, I I don't recall what the reasons, um, hang on, I'm Googling right now. I was about to say, give me one second and I'll Google. (laughs) Okay, Bruce Ward, Don Davis, uh, Stacy Johnson got stays. Um, I'm looking at the 2018-2017 list. I got Jack okay. Ward, but I don't have a. I don't have. I can't find it because actually, and I don't know if you've seen this, but caselaw.findlaw.com has some has I guess court transcripts. Never knew that. Oh, okay. I they're hard to navigate sometimes, and they don't print well. Yeah. Uh, Don okay. Davis and Bruce Ward got stays. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Davis looks like I, low IQ and ADHD. Um, and wow, you that has been lifted. Well, I guess you have to have low IQ and ADHD. I was about to say, ADHD just means you're hyper. Or are they worried you're going to be moving while they're trying to put the needle in? Like, what's going on here? No, 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 because ADHD is, is attention deficit hyperactivity. It's not that you're right. going to – I think they where, – where it suits them, they use that as a mental disorder. Right. So um, they go ahead and uh, they go ahead and uh, take care of it the other way. But and, uh, uh, go ahead. He uh, yeah he got he got the thing. It was low IQ, ADHD, psychoactive substance abuse disorders. Um. And there was an issue before the U.S. Supreme Court on uh, expert, it looks like expert uh, assistance in presenting those claims. Mm -hmm. But that Mm -hmm. has been lifted. So um, he can be reset, and then Bruce Ward has been lifted, so he can be reset. Okay. And, um... So Stacy can officially... Stacy is uh, eligible now to have a date. No, he is appealing to the Arkansas Supreme Court at this stage. Mm -hmm. His brief is due in October... And then the state will file okay. its brief, and then he will probably file a reply brief. They will possibly schedule oral argument. It'll be about two years before okay. the appeal makes its way through the Arkansas Supreme Court. So I have a question before we get started in the meat and taters of uh, old Stacy Johnson here. One of the gentlemen was given a stay, and Leslie Rutledge, who's the attorney general, if I'm not sure if you were familiar with that part, but uh, Miss Rutledge said that they weren't even going to pursue executing. They basically were like, okay, we'll just commute them to life. Uh, I was wondering – if you possibly knew why they would decide to do that, did they just decide, hey, it's not worth it anymore? Um, you know, possibly, probably. Uh, one, that one inmate, the uh, bar to execution of mental illness was strong enough that the attorney general elected not to continue uh pursuing pursuing the uh execution. Yeah. And that, you know, that I think that really demonstrates that they're not uh you know, they're taking things on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Not just executing people for the hell of it. Sure. Um Very true. and 
I'm not I sure who that was. I'm not sure which one it was, but I was just wondering if maybe that sets a precedent that everybody else can be like, well, he, you know, he got the he got the commutation, so why can't I? But, What's making him special? You know what I'm saying, type of deal. That is probably like I said because he proved um, that he is mentally ill. Uh huh. And you know the the inmate bears the burden of proving that. True. Um. So let's see. I've got the the Arkansas Parole Board recommended clemency. For Jason McGee. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm not sure what um, I just remember Leslie decided, hey, we're gonna go ahead and not even worry about this one. <laughs> yeah, I I think I I think it may be that McGee's I think McGee's one of the ones that Damian Eccles refers to as being Backrack crazy. Uh-huh. I don't know whether it's Jason McGee or, or Bruce Ward. Right, right. Um, and I think there was also perhaps an issue as to who killed the victim. That it wasn't, there was a question as to whether McGee actually killed the victim. He participated oh. in the, uh, he participated in the attack on the victim. He participated in the kidnapping of the victim, but he did not strike the fatal blow. And so that is basically, that's been used to challenge executions in Texas and, you know, several other states with with accomplice or law of the party's liability in capital murder. Okay. And uh, we'll be that'll that'll be something we'll be talking about when we look at Kenneth Foster's case because he was convicted and, and sentenced to death under Texas law of party statute. Okay. And our guest, yeah, and our guest is going to be, yeah, our our guest is going to be um, Nico LaHood, who is victim Michael LaHood's. Uh, younger brother, uh-huh. and also former, well, he's district attorney in Bear County until the end of this year in Texas. So, and I'm looking forward oh. to that episode. Okay, yeah, definitely. Me as well, me as well. Well, let's go ahead and get into it here, Lisa. Let's talk about Stacy Johnson, and let's start off first with the victim, Carol. Uh, what about uh, Carol, his victim? Well, she was 25. Uh, I, I believe it looks like she was a single mom. She worked. Uh, she, I, I don't know if she had really steady employment. I know she may have worked for a state agency at one time. And then she also worked for a uh, place called In Your Ear, uh, working the door and taking uh, cover charges and things like that in when they had bands playing. In Your Ear was like a club for young people, teenagers to hang out in. Right. And um, okay. 
she was a single mom. She had a six-year-old daughter, Ashley, and a three-year-old son, Jonathan, or two-year-old son, Jonathan. They were very young. Uh, Ashley's birthday was April 1st, 1993, so she would have just turned six years old when her mom was murdered. Okay. And where does Ashley and Jonathan uh, stand in this case? Um, uh, Did they – I don't remember hearing anything about them. That's why I asked. Ashley Uh, Ashley immediately immediately identified a black man with a girl-sounding name as having come to the house during the night and uh-huh. fought with his mother, fought with her mother, uh, being angry at her mother for dating a guy by the name of Branson Ramsey, okay. and that he and her mo- he and the mother fought, and then she saw him with a knife, and her mother was on the ground bleeding. She was six years old, so her ability to really express everything was going to be hampered by her young age. Right. But she immediately, you know, she immediately said, and the the black guy came in, had a girl sounding name. She described the clothing he was wearing. Uh, Clothing matching her description and identified by Johnson's stepmother as clothing she had given to him that he was wearing that night. Uh, mm-hmm. was found at a a roadside park a few miles from DeQueen along okay. with Carol Heath's purse. Oh, wow. That's pretty damn And so, um, yeah, but she was a six-year-old child. Her brother, Jonathan, never really, he was way too young to have been able to ever express what happened, and based on the materials I read in the uh, different appellate briefs and opinions, I think Ashley tried to shield Jonathan because she kept referring to putting Jonathan in closet hide. Right. So I think, you know, I don't think he saw as much, but I think Big Sister was protecting him. Okay. Okay. And so um, let's about... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, the kids, when Carol Heath's body was discovered in the living room, uh, the kids had to be taken out through a window in the bedroom so mm-hmm. that they wouldn't see their mother. Okay. So, so let's talk um, about Stacy himself. Uh, what's the story yes. on Stacy prior to the murder? He was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and came back to the Queen, Arkansas, in January 93 uh, to attend his father's funeral. Apparently remained in Arkansas, and at some point in February, he met Carol Heath at a party at her house. And according to a friend of hers, he proposed that Miss Heath and the friend start running drugs for him. And he wanted to take okay. that. And they turned him down. Uh-huh. And they they met up again 
a few weeks later, and he again asked them to run drugs for him, which he, they both declined, and wanted to, still wanted to date them, and they both just ignored it. And he seemed kind of angry about that. And sure. then sometime in March, Johnson was found to be a felon in possession of a firearm and went to jail into Queens. Okay. And he was put in jail by Branson Ramsey, who turned him in for having a firearm, apparently, at Mr. Ramsey's business. They had been friends. And he had a gun at Mr. Ramsey's business. Mr. Ramsey didn't like that, so he called the cops, and Stacy was arrested. Uh, so keep that in mind when we, we speak later about some of uh, the defense theories. Um, okay. And on April 1st, in the afternoon, Stacy Johnson was released for jail after his girlfriend in New Mexico sent him money to post bond. Um, so, while in jail, he had told a couple of he had told one inmate that he had been messing around with Carol Heath. And the guy didn't believe okay. him, and then he later told uh, somebody that he was going to go stay with a woman with two little kids who worked at a bank. And the theory is that that's Carol Heath that he thought he was going to go stay with. Okay. So, let's talk about the murder. What exactly happened that night? Well, we don't know exactly what time this happened. We don't know. It was probably the night of April 1st into the early morning hours of April 2nd. Um, a, as Ashley described it, a black man with a do-rag. She described it as something black on his head with things hanging down, which is those do rag things, uh, came to the house, argued with her mother, uh, was angry at the mother for uh, dating Branson Ramsey. The mother and the man fought, and then the mom was on the floor bleeding. Um, Carol had been beaten. She had put up a hell of a fight defending herself because she had marks on her arms, her legs, her face. She had blunt force injuries on her head. Um, I mean, she was little, but she fought pretty hard. Right. And she was found naked except for a T-shirt pushed up around her, her neck, which had been cut. And it was a a very deep cut. It mm-hmm. cut her throat and went into her went a quarter inch into her spine. Oh dang! So it was dang. intensely, yeah, intensely brutal. Um, and also, the the person who killed her uh, took some forensic countermeasures. Uh, apparently uh-huh. used a condom because there was a bo- an empty condom box or or packet found in the bathroom sink and also used a female product on Carol Heath 
because there was a pool of liquid around her legs on the living room floor. So he was trying to get rid of evidence that would connect him. Luckily, he wasn't able to get rid of the hairs that he left on and around Carol Heath's body. And these were hairs that had roots attached because they were able to do nuclear DNA testing in 1994. Right. And that means roots had to have been attached. Generally, hairs, if there's no root, you can only do mitochondrial DNA testing. Okay. But if there's a root attached, you you could do nuclear DNA testing. Okay. Awesome. And there were multiple hairs. Uh-huh. So, uh, and then Johnson left and went to New Mexico. And one would ask, why would he have to leave to Queen, Arkansas, if he had nothing to do with Carol Heath's death? Absolutely. been on my mind. He had nothing to do mm-hmm. with it. Why is he running anywhere? Right. Correct. So what's the evidence in this case look like? Well, there are the hairs that were found on Carol Heath's body and around her body. They were determined to be negroid hairs, which that's old terminology, uh, but that's how the characteristics are described. Uh, there were also Caucasian, Caucasian hairs found. Some of them were, were consistent or similar to Carol's hair, and some were not consistent or similar to Carol's hair. She had two young children living in the house. Um, the hairs could have been from them for whatever reason, probably the trauma of what had happened. Uh, police did not take reference samples from the kids. They were six and two. Right. I think they were traumatized enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, on April 5th, uh, as I said, a, a, a sweater, a green sweater, a white T-shirt, Carol Heath's purse and wallet, towel were found at a roadside park a few miles from DeQueen. The man who found those items didn't recognize the name, but he left everything there, and then he told his wife, and his wife recognized the name. So he got police and brought police back to uh, the purse and the evidence. Um there was blood on the sweater that belonged to Carol Heath. 1994 DNA testing. Nuclear DNA belonged to Carol Heath. There was blood on the white T-shirt and I believe the towel also that linked those two items to Carol Heath. So it linked her home primary crime scene to the roadside park secondary crime scene. And again, there's her purse. Right. With her ID, which also links those two crime scenes. And it's on the road heading out of DeQueen. And I I believe it was heading west out of DeQueen. Okay. Um, And that is the evidence 
pretty much. Uh, it it ties. There was also in the green sweater. There was a partially smoked cigarette butt in a pocket, and nuclear DNA testing on that in 1994. DNA belonged to Stacy Johnson. DNA on the hairs on the body and around the body in the house, also nuclear DNA testing belonged to Stacey Johnson. In 1994, the the uh, statistical probabilities were broad. So for the, I think it's the hairs, uh, a person, one in 250 people would would possess the same DNA DNA profile based on the alleles uh, detected in 1994. Uh Subsequent testing was done, which narrowed that statistic. And we'll get into that later. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So let's talk about these. You alluded to it a moment ago. He fled back to New Mexico, right? Correct. Correct. And what's the story on and, like well he was off? he was driving he was driving around in Albuquerque, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and was apparently pulled over and he gave a false name to the police officers and affected a a Jamaican accent okay. and one of the one of the cues when you're when you're giving a false name to police officers. Whether your first name, first name or last name, know how to spell both names. Because he spelled it once, he spelled the last name once, and then the second time he spelled the last name, he spelled it differently. And ladies and gentlemen, public service announcement. When you misspell your own name, that is a big red flag. Flashing neon light to police that you probably are not who you say you are. Absolutely. So, know how to spell your fake name. Drill yourself on spelling your fake name five times in a row and spelling it the same every single time. Yeah. And I I don't know if you watch Cops, but there have been some hilarious episodes of Cops where people spell the first name different every time. They spell it three times. Every time they spell it a different way. And the police are like, well, the first time you said it was T-O-N, and now you're saying it's T-A-N? <laughs> yeah, it's something, uh, you it's know, something special. That, yeah, it's a big flashing neon sign that says, not me, not me. So, um, so then when they... They also asked him for his Social Security number, which he gave the Social Security number belonging to the person whose name he was using. But unfortunately, the person whose name he was using did not look like him. Stacy Johnson is like 6'6", 300 pounds. The name he was using is a dude that's 5'9", and probably weighs 120 pounds soaking wet. So that immediately, again, ding, 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 (laughs) we have a winner. (laughs) And so Albuquerque police arrested him. Uh, Okay, 
that point for the murder or and extradite him, or did they? Just well, he was for- he was a, he was arrested for giving a false name. Mm-hmm. And when you also one of the things people don't realize is when you give a false name to police and police realize that you have given them a false name. The handcuffs are going to go on, and you're going to take a trip to the station so they can figure out who you really are. And generally, people don't give false names unless they have warrants or some reason that they don't right. want to go to jail. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I I think it's it's kind of funny when you see criticism of police for things like that, and it's like it's low hanging fruit. I mean, what do you expect yeah. them to do? That's the easy stuff, people. That's yeah. the easy they, stuff. They, 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 y'all make it easy. Yeah. Because I know, I, you know, a lot of times if it's, if it's a, even a warrant, if it's something where the, the officers have some discretion, you know, if you tell them the truth from the very beginning, they'll be a lot more lenient with you. Now, sometimes some warrants they unfortunately have no discretion. They have to lock you up and take you away. But, um, so he didn't want to go to jail, and he told the, he offered each of the officers $5,000 mm-hmm. to let him go. Oh, wow. Neither officer took up, up on his offer. Yeah, strike two. Uh, <laughs> oh, here, Stacy. Well, then when they get to the station, Stacy Johnson says, look, I, I've got, probably got a warrant. I killed somebody in Arkansas, and if you send me back there, they're going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And then Stacy Johnson's hamster wheel started turning, and he decided maybe he could become valuable to the police in New Mexico so that they would keep him in New Mexico and not send him back to Arkansas. So he began talking about drugs and other homicides in Arizona. Wow. And unfortunately for him, that wasn't really of much interest to the police in New Mexico. Uh, He did fight extradition, but he was extradited back to Arkansas on the warrant. Uh, There isn't a lot of public information available as to uh, the extradition process, how long it took, when he was actually returned to Arkansas. He was arrested in Albuquerque on April 14th. Um, Now, the other thing I forgot to mention in talking about Ashley that afternoon, Ashley picked Stacy Johnson's uh, mugshot from a photo spread. Uh, the the officer gave her the photo spread twice, and both times she picked Stacy Johnson. He was also the only African American inmate who was released between right after his arrest in March and April second, the date that Carol Keith's body was found. Wow. So yeah. it, it's a it's a circumstantial case, but it's pretty strong circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier low-hanging fruit. It don't get much lower than that. <laughs> yeah. Really. He, he kind of made it 
you kind of made it easy for him. Yeah, so, I, I, I don't, I think that wasn't his intention, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> he had been to the house so, before. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. So we go to the first trial here, and what's what's the prosecution's case? Are they thinking open close? We've got this thing right. Or pretty much, okay. Ashley Ashley was determined by the court to be not competent to testify. Uh, when they had the competency hearing for her, this was in 1994, so she would have been about seven. Um, uh-huh. She could not be coaxed into the courtroom to testify at the hearing. That's right. how traumatized this poor child was. Um, a lot of her statements to the Arkansas State Police investigator came in under uh, excited utterance exceptions of the hearsay rule including the uh, identification of Johnson in the photo array. Right. And then there was the DNA from linking uh, the two crime scenes, the hairs linking Johnson to the primary crime scene at the house body, and then the okay. uh, blood from Carol Heath and the cigarette butt linking Johnson to the shirt, the green shirt at least, and Carol's blood linking the white shirt and the green shirt to the murder at the primary crime scene, as well as her purse. Okay. And like I said, it was a okay. it was a strong circumstantial case uh, based on the linkage of the two scenes with the various physical evidence from uh, the two crime scenes. Okay. So. What's the uh, DNA in this case? Because I know DNA was rather new in this case. Right. Correct? The DNA was from the African-American hairs found on Carol's body and around Carol's body. And then the blood on the sweater and white shirt and towel found at the secondary crime scene that were Carol's DNA. Uh, the margins were somewhat broad because uh-huh. it was like one in eleven hundred could possess the the margins of DNA. When they say one in two hundred fifty means you would have to pull two hundred fifty people off the street, but after the the two hundred fifty first person could have the same DNA profile as your evidence. Hmm. As I and understand that's good. it, yeah. yeah, and and that's good. I'm I'm working on getting us a DNA expert to have a general DNA show to talk about everything, okay. not specific cases, but to talk about what the statistics mean and and what the statistics are based on. Because as I understand it, the statistics are ba- are actually based on the different alleles and the combination of numbers that you get for each allele. Right. And like okay. I said, I, I, I want to get a, a DNA serologist expert to talk about it, and I decided to take the bullet by the horns 
and find one. Because <laughs> you haven't found one at Arkansas. <laughs> My bad. You're bad. <laughs> so, anyway, um, but yes, yeah, so that was the that was the DNA. So Stacy Johnson's DNA, the primary crime scene on Carol Heath's body, Carol Heath's DNA on the shirt, and the T-shirt and towel at the secondary crime scene. Johnson's stepmother also testified that about the do rag on his head that was described by Ashley, as well as the uh, shirts that she gave him. They used to belong to his father. Right. Okay. Okay. So, what's the defense saying? Is the defense basically saying he's lying or something? Well, like, I that's pretty much all they got. Is they're lying. Right. One of the things the defense's case, um, there was some evidence. There were some Caucasian hairs found in the house that were never even tested. Okay. Um. They were microscopically examined. Some were uh, consistent with Carol Heath's hair, but then they were never DNA tested. And that may be because they didn't have roots, meaning they had been naturally shed, meaning they weren't the product of an attack or a struggle. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, you know, pointing out that no reference samples were taken from Ashley and Jonathan. And no reference samples were taken from Branson Ramsey. And they, uh, you know, I think Branson Ramsey was was interviewed on April 2nd. But he wasn't really investigated. He was a former boyfriend. He and Carol were not dating at the time she was murdered. And frankly, if Branson had been the one to come in and kill her, that's what Ashley would have told police. Yeah, because Ashley knew Branson. Right. And another argument well, that, that they made, which is which is interesting, is that uh, Stacy Johnson had claimed to have been having a consensual relationship with Carol Heath, uh, but also claiming that he had been in the house so the hairs that they found could be there from just, you know, him being in the house at other times, not related to the murder. Right. And that the, the that defense was not successful with the jury. And he was convicted and sentenced to death. Okay. Okay. So then we go to the direct appeal, correct? Correct. What happens there? It looks the, like a victory uh, for Stacey. <laughs> well, on the in the, the Arkansas State Supreme Court, uh, there were multiple issues involved in the direct appeal, but the one that the Arkansas State Supreme Court reversed on was the uh, Arkansas State Police investigator testifying about Ashley's uh, identification of Johnson from the photo array. Uh, uh-huh. It had been allowed in by the judge under the excited utterance exception. But in the descriptions of not only the investigator, but a 
DHS kind of counselor type person that he brought with him to be present during his interviews with Ashley. Um, mm-hmm. The way Ashley went about telling the story was excited. It was manic. She started talking and just unloaded on him and very rapidly, mm-hmm. you know, told the story of what happened. But when she got to the photo array, she was very deliberate and very calm. She looked at each picture, and then she pulled out Johnson's picture. And she didn't have any physical reaction when she pulled out Johnson's picture. So it was not excited or, um, you know, it it was deliberate. It was measured. And so the Arkansas State Supreme Court felt that it did not fall under the excited utterance exception. And then they they also addressed some other evidentiary issues. Um, There was an issue about um, uh, that might come up at the next trial. Mm -hmm. And they addressed those issues as to whether or not, like the, the statements, if Ashley didn't testify at a new trial, then, you know, yes, the the description to the investigator would be admissible because that was excited. And it was, uh, it it did qualify in the excited utterance. Um, Right. But that was, yeah, they reversed and remanded for a new trial. And uh, that was in 1996. Right, right. So then we have the second trial. Did the prosecution uh, change anything up for the second trial? They had done, in 1997, they were able to do newer uh, methods of DNA testing. And those newer methods of DNA testing were... um, able to narrow the probability of the DNA belonging to someone other than Stacey Johnson or Carol Heath. And there was also a change of venue uh, before the second trial. The trial was moved from Sevier County to Pike County. Right. Uh, but yeah, and, and Ashley was found to be competent to testify, and then they had the DNA, and and that was uh, I think the cigarette butt DNA was um, the DNA on the cigarette butt was Stacy Johnson's to a probability of one in two hundred forty million, and the hairs were Stacy Johnson's to a probability of one in seven hundred twenty million, or vice versa. So- so Let's it significantly narrowed, yeah, it's significantly narrowed. Um, but, and, you know, all that was, all the DNA was the same. Carol, he's on the shirts, the towel, uh, the hairs from the crime scene, being Stacy Johnson, the cigarette butt, Stacy Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Like I said, Ashley was able to testify as well. So she had been ruled to be competent to testify by that point. And she would have been uh, 
97, she would have been 10 uh-huh. by that point. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So, what is the defense's case again? Are they bringing up the same issues? <clears throat> they uh, they argued a lot of the same issues. One new thing is that they brought in Branson Ramsey's ex-wife to testify about how Branson Ramsey abused her and that her divorce from Branson Ramsey was final on April 1st, 1993. The court did not permit her to testify, but her testimony Mm -hmm. was proffered for the appellate court to review. And, um, I mean, basically, she didn't have any evidence. She, She didn't claim that Branson Ramsey confessed to killing Carol Heath to her. She merely was saying, he's a bad guy, he abused me, he used to bite my breath, he used to bite my breath. so mm-hmm. he must have killed Carol Heath, too, basically. Right. That was, you know, <clears throat> um, of course, if someone, if a girlfriend of Stacey Johnson had come forward and wanted to testify for the prosecution about how Stacey Johnson abused her, that would not have been permitted until the penalty phase. <clears throat> so, um, but she had no evidence, nothing in her testimony did anything more than, than create an inference that the killer might have been Branson Ramsey. Right, and right. In order to present, in order to present an alternate suspect, in a trial, you have to have more than just uh, some information that creates an inference that it might have been the other guy. So, I mean, and in this case, same as the first one, he's completely shut down, and he uh, he's once again, you know, found guilty, correct? Correct. And sentenced to death. And again, on the even with evidence that was not tested and evidence that was not examined. Right. And that's that's right. an important part for later. <laughs> I'm okay. going to give you a test at the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, obviously, he's over to where it counts in the trials. Does he end up getting another victory here in the direct appeal after this time? No, he does not. The Arkansas uh, State Supreme Court affirmed his conviction and sentence. Uh, they you know, basically shut down all of his challenges to victim impact evidence. Um, Ashley testifying. One of the issues on that direct appeal Ashley had been seeing a counselor since shortly after her mother's murder. Prior uh-huh. to the first trial, the person who was the guardian of Ashley at the time waived privilege on her, her counseling records. So they were able to access the counseling records between 93 and 94 at the time of the first trial. And they were able to have testimony from the uh, 
psychologist who was treating Ashley. But the second trial, whoever was her guardian at that time was not going to waive privilege for the uh, counselor she started seeing in 1996 and was seeing at the time of trial. And they wanted access to those records, and the counselor wouldn't waive privilege. And the court found that they're privileged, and Johnson didn't have a right to those records. And he claimed those records could have been used to impeach Ashley. And those records could have been used to demonstrate how, you know, her testimony was basically all biased against Johnson and influenced by the DA and her family who were telling her she was the only one who could keep Johnson in jail. Uh, The problem with that is that that doesn't change what she said immediately after the murder and her identification of Stacy Johnson. Because on the day of the murder at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that is when she picked Stacy Johnson out of the photo array given to her by an Arkansas State Police investigator. Mm-hmm. And I don't think at that time anybody even really knew in her family Stacy Johnson's name. Right. Um, so there was, though, uh, the, the appeal, that, that second direct appeal, it was not a unanimous court. Four judges affirmed the conviction and sentence. Three dissented. And those three judges dissented on the counseling, the records issue. They felt that Johnson had a right and that since privilege had been waived in the first trial, that it should be considered waived forever and ever. Um. They're the only three justices who feel that way. No subsequent judge has found the state uh, majority to have been wrong. But that's another, you know, another future segment. Right, right, absolutely. So, uh, what happens in the post-conviction in his first request for DNA testing? Uh, he was uh, – state post-conviction was denied. He was alleging uh, ineffective assistance of counsel. And um, in some of, the, some of the allegations he made were, were more attempts to relitigate issues that he was unsuccessful on direct appeal. And the request for DNA testing was also denied because the DNA testing in 1997 was entirely inculpatory as to the hair and the cigarette butts that Johnson was seeking to retest on the African-American hairs and cigarette butts. And the that he wasn't entitled to testing of the Caucasian hairs because nobody had ever said that Stacey Johnson left those Caucasian hairs. Right. So 
they weren't wouldn't necessarily advance his claim of innocence. And the Arkansas Supreme Court affirmed the denial of the state post conviction and affirmed denial of testing of the cigarette butt because between nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety seven the uh, probability had narrowed to one in 720 million, but it granted uh, a reversed for testing on the African American hairs because there was an error in their opinion, and they were citing the probability from the. 1994 trial of 1 in 250 rather than the 1 in 240 million from the 1997 results. And so when the case went back to the trial court, the trial court found additional testing had been done on the African-American hairs. It was inculpatory as to Johnson, and therefore he was not entitled to additional DNA testing. Mm -hmm. And that brings up a point, you know, we've talked about it with Kevin Cooper and Rodney Reed. Um, the purpose of state DNA testing statutes is not testing for the sake of testing. Right. It's not the evidence right. is there, tested. The purpose is to advance a legitimate claim of actual innocence. And in a case like Rodney Reed, where you have conclusive DNA evidence that is not explained by credible, reliable evidence of a prior relationship with the victim, you're not entitled to DNA testing on other crime scene evidence that you think might yield a DNA profile that doesn't belong to you. And in Rodney Reed's case, there was limited testing done and additional DNA from Rodney Reed was found on Stacy's pants and back brace, which is inculpatory. And if you have a DNA result that's inculpatory, you can't keep testing until you get a result that you that that you know exonerates you, or that you can try to argue exonerates you. And I think what some of these cases they want to get a DNA result that doesn't belong to. Stacy Johnson, so they can say, see, this person killed Carol Heath. Uh-huh. Even though all the other evidence, including his hairs on her body, say otherwise. And so, um, you know, that is, you can't just test and test and test until you get a result you like. Uh-huh. And you also can't get testing by saying but we could do this testing and we could get a hit on a CODIS database for a serial killer and then we'll know who really killed Carol Heath Mm -hmm. Uh, again that's speculative you might not get any DNA you might get Stacy you know you might get more Stacy Johnson DNA you might get unknown male DNA from a juror that handled a piece of evidence because testing now, I mean, you could sneeze on something, and 10 years from now, they'll find your DNA on it. Because the methods of recovering DNA have become so sensitive 
um, that, you know, and that's one of the issues with Rodney Reed is that a lot of the evidence that they want to test for touch DNA was handled during the course of the trial. Because at that time, once everything had been processed, there was no need to protect integrity of evidence from a, uh, a capability that we wouldn't have for another 15 years as far as touch DNA went. So. Okay. Okay. Well, Lisa, we're about, uh, we're about in the halfway point here, but uh, when we come back, I guess what, we're at the federal habeas uh, for Mr. Johnson. So uh, when we come back, that's exactly where we're going to go with this. Sound good? <laughs> yep. Great. Okay, we'll be right back with more Clear and Convincing. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Subohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Subohm Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Subohm Vapors. Vape it like you built. Hit it in a bad place. Who have a good time? I've been running, trying to catch hung up 
in my mind Just got to give myself a good talking to this time And we're back. And we're back. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa's back with the small technical difficulties here tonight. Yeah, I know. Oh, well. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, especially not blog talk. Everybody out here who uses it, I'm sure, can attest to that. But <laughs> let's talk about the federal habeas uh, from Mr. Yes. Johnson. What? Uh, what big, you know, what big thing happens there? Nothing really, because he was uh, he was denied relief on all the issues. There were a few issues that he raised: uh, the access to the counseling records, which, as I alluded to, the federal district court found that Ashley's privacy rights were not trumped by the Constitution and Johnson's. Uh, claimed need for access to her counseling records. And um, that's in line with Supreme Court order. Um, One of the interesting things, though, I don't know whether it was the district court or the appeals court that said, you know, Ashley was a witness. She wasn't putting her condition at issue. Therefore, there was no entitlement to her records, and she could waive privilege as to one set and claim privilege as to the other. So um, a lot of their argument is based on, like I said, comments that the counselor made in her notes that Ashley's family and the DA were telling her she was the only one keeping Johnson in prison. Whether that is true or not, it doesn't have anything to do with whether Johnson's innocent or guilty and it certainly doesn't change her identification of Johnson on April 2nd, 1993, or the hair and blood evidence that tied Carol Heath and Stacy Johnson together and tied Stacy Johnson to Carol Heath's body as well as the clothing found at the secondary crime scene. Okay. Okay. So... He was denied relief at the federal in the district court and by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeal. So the federal habeas after that, the execution date is set for the you know the mass executions by Asa Hutchinson, correct? Correct. And actually, uh, the federal Eighth Circuit decision was in I believe 2006. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was probably about 11 years because, again, Arkansas executions in 2006 were uh, on hold because of challenges to the execution protocol that was being reworked by the Governor's Office, Bureau of Prisons, Department of Corrections, uh, whoever, you know, does the the protocol. Uh, so that was 11 years, and it was in 2017 that the new protocol came into effect and had passed muster. 
as far as the uh, drug cocktail and how things were going to be done, administration of the drugs, et cetera. Right, right. So Johnson gets a say, correct? On correct. the day of, I believe, or was it a few days before? I can't remember. It was a few days before, uh, and the state did try to get the uh, Arkansas Supreme Court to reconsider because uh, the Arkansas Supreme Court, when it granted the stay, it actually didn't give any reason. Uh-huh. And okay. two justices uh, dissented from that because they felt DNA testing had been done, or three justices dissented. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they remanded to the circuit court was because when Johnson filed his request for DNA testing, the court did not hold hearings. There was a telephone conference, and then the court denied the request. Mm-hmm. And again, because the 1997 DNA testing clearly conclusively implicated Stacy Johnson. Okay. The evidence that implicated Stacy Johnson or inculpated him was relevant material evidence. Hairs on the victim's body are relevant material evidence. Right, absolutely. And the DNA was conclusive that the hairs belonged to Stacey Johnson. It was not mitochondrial DNA that didn't exclude Stacey Johnson. It was nuclear DNA that belonged to Stacey Johnson, and the probability of it belonging to someone else was one in several hundred million people. So you would have to pull 700 million people off the street before you'd find the identical DNA profile. That's what it boils down to. Right. And um, so, go ahead. But yeah, the stay was great. The execution was scheduled for the 20th, I believe, or the 21st, and the stay was granted on the 19th of April. Okay, so what was different in this case? Why was there no stay issued for Liddell? In Liddell Lee's case, his motion requesting DNA testing in Pulaski County held a hearing, and he presented his DNA experts and whatever whatever other testimony supported his request for DNA testing, and the state got to put on its uh, witnesses to refute his request for DNA testing. And it was after that hearing that the the Pulaski County Court denied DNA testing for Liddell Lee. So while the media articles say it's the exact same issue, why would one get to go back to state court and the other one didn't, they weren't the same issue. The judge and Stacey Johnson didn't hold a hearing, and he 
should have probably held a hearing. And the judge right. on the Lee did hold a hearing. So, um, so what happened? That's basically. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it's um, like I said, it, the, the issues were different. The facts were different. Liddell Lee had his hearing. He didn't meet the burden. His claim was denied, and the Supreme Court found that that was – they could affirm that. And then Stacey Johnson, he didn't really get a hearing. Okay. And that was the only reason the Supreme Court felt that, you know, he should have had a hearing. Okay. Of course, you know, he didn't, he didn't file his motion for stay until April 18th. And his execution was scheduled for the 20th. And he got the execution Mm -hmm. date in February. So, I mean, I think what Arkansas needs to do in the future is do something like what Texas has done. One of the reasons that they require, what is it, 60 days notice to the prisoner of an execution date is so that these kind of things can be filed in a timely fashion so they can be resolved prior to the execution date. And if you wait until the eve of the execution date and file a motion for a stay, the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals is going to smack you down because that's what's happened to David Dow a couple of times because he waits for right. <laughs> so. so what happens at the clemency hearing? Was he denied? Interest- he was denied, but, you know, interestingly, uh, if you recall, one of his defenses is that he'd been in Carol Heath's house so the presence of his hairs in her house could be unrelated to the murder. And he claimed that he had some kind of consensual relationship with her at various times. Well, at the clemency hearing in 2017, he said he didn't know or never met her, had never been to her house, had never seen her before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the story's changing. Okay. Or, you know, and he, uh, he's lying. Yeah. He was either lying uh, then or he's lying now. That's quite a 180. <laughs> and, definitely uh, something there, Correct. But, I mean, what correct. do you and, expect? Like, false identity uh, and even false name. Correct. And another interesting thing, I, I looked at his uh, DOC records when I was reading the transcript from the clemency hearing, and he has, going back to 2015, four uh, disciplinary violations that he's been found guilty on for threats uh-huh. to inflict injury. Huh. 
Um, he's got violations for possession and manufacture of contraband, unauthorized use of mail or telephone, failure to uh-huh. obey order, trafficking and trading. He's got, I mean, he's got disciplinaries from March of this year. And I think the disciplinaries okay. only go back to 2015 because that's all that's online at DOC. I'll bet you this disciplinary file is even bigger than that. And during the clemency hearing, one of the one of the commissioners or board members asked him about his disciplinaries. And, you know, he uh-huh. gave this, this, this explanation of, well, you know, when you're in prison for something you didn't do, you know, you, you, I was angry. I get angry. And uh-huh. the guards are mean. And, you know, the guards, some of the guards ought to be in prison with us because they're more criminals than we are. And, right. um, you know, I, they weren't letting me talk to my family. I'm going to be executed. Somebody offered to help me by, by, I guess, you know, using his phone call to his family to let me talk to my family. And, you know, when somebody offers you help like that, are you going to say no just because it's breaking the rules? That kind of attitude, you know, uh-huh. is is crazy. So, but yeah, he has yeah. threats of injury going back 12, 11, 2016. And these are, these are violations he's been found guilty on. Uh-huh. So, he's not a model prisoner. Right, and this is crazy. also the the disciplinaries are also uh, more or less a good reason why his sentence would likely never be commuted to life in prison right. because mm-hmm. he's restricted on death row a lot more than he would be in general population, and he's mm-hmm. still managing to rack up violations like crazy. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you kind of have to have a spotless record if you want to if you want to uh, be put off taken off Correct. that track. Correct. So the final little piece we got here is the uh, 2017 request for DNA testing. What happened there? Mm-hmm. Well, the case had been remanded back to the trial court in Sevier County. And hearings were held in November of last year, and the uh, trial court denied DNA testing uh, after those hearings were were held. Uh, and the major reason, again, is because Stacy Johnson has had DNA testing, mm-hmm. and the DNA testing is not exculpatory. And it has never been exculpatory. And so he just does not meet the criteria of Arkansas statute to uh, get testing on additional evidence because what DNA we have is conclusive and it is undoubtedly, undoubtedly ex- inculpatory. Mhm. Right. And uh another reason was that in 
2001, he requested limited, he requested testing on the cigarette butt, the, the African-American hairs, and the Caucasian hairs. But mm-hmm. in his 2017 request for DNA testing, he wants to test all kinds of other evidence. He wants to test right. the rape kit from Errol Heath, which, granted, they may find DNA from mm-hmm. somewhere on her, although it's not likely because, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, Johnson took a forensic countermeasure by not only using a condom, but also using a douche on Carol Heath to wash away evidence or destroy evidence. It would probably be detectable now, but if it's not Stacy Johnson's DNA that she had, you know, sex with Branson Ramsey the day before, although they weren't seeing each other anymore, you know, again, it's, it's and, and the chance that some serial killer's DNA is going to pop from this crime scene is too speculative because they don't have any evidence that there was a serial killer hanging out in DeQueen, Arkansas on April 1st, 1993. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, Lisa, it looks like we're pretty much here at the end. Uh, it looks like, uh, you know, Stacy's pretty much headed for another showdown for too long uh, to try to, you know, continue this fight for his life. But is there anything else uh, that you want to bring up before we go ahead and put a bow on this one? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, 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 I think it's unlikely that the Supreme Court is going to um, going to send this case back for DNA testing. Um, so, but it's going to be it's going to take about two years before that uh, decision comes down. So we'll we'll right. definitely look at it again once it's once it's finalized at the Arkansas State Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'll right. we'll have a few things to talk about on another update episode. Absolutely, and I can't wait to do another episode because this one definitely has taken a few turns. You know, he's won a few battles, but you know, he hasn't won the big one yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So what are we? What are we getting ready to talk about next week? We're going to talk about Betty Broderick next week. Uh, Betty was a woman in California who uh, was married to a prominent local attorney in San Diego. Their marriage was, by all accounts, not a happy one for either of them. And sometime in the early 1980s, Uh, Her husband began seeing another woman, and eventually the marriage broke up, and Betty Broderick didn't take that very well and went downhill from there. So we'll be talking about that. And uh, (laughs) a lot of people expect me to have more sympathy for Betty Broderick than I do, but I really don't. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, I can 
can understand why you don't. But uh, Lisa, it looks like we're pretty much uh, at closing time. Let's go ahead and get us wrapped up and get us ready for next week. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and you want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingworkpodcast.wordpress.com. That's clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week for Episode 23, State of California versus Betty Broderick. In the early morning hours of November 5, 1989, Betty used her daughter's keys to gain entry to her ex-husband's house. Once in the master bedroom, Betty shot and killed her ex, Daniel Broderick, a prominent San Diego attorney, and his wife of seven months, Linda Kalkina Broderick. Join Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan on Tuesday, September 25th at 8 p.m. Central for a discussion of the history of the Brodericks and their divorce, the events that preceded the murders, and the case against Betty Broderick, who was denied parole for a second time in January 2017. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great week. Be safe. Yeah. <clears throat>